This is EdTech Weekly. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and joining me again is Matt Harrison. Matt, we had a week off, and you weren't there the week before, so do you feel rested and ready to go? Yeah, I do. I was able to attend Rip Rap, Rip Rap, Rip Rap Zoo. Got to learn about ripping and rapping. Okay. Well, I don't know what that is, but I think it's probably best if we just move on. I will say this. I apologize for missing last week. You know, this isn't our our main job, and we have a lot of things going on in our lives, so we're doing our best, and we'll try to be here every week, and and we've been consistent, but we missed last week, but we'll be here again next week, and we'll try to continue to be on a good schedule for the many ones and twos and threes of listeners that we have out there. Matt, our first story is an opinion piece on EdSurge, and it looks into whether EdTech is all hype with no return. Um... Pete Whelan asserts that technology cannot be looked at as a cure for the problems within education. He instead suggests that we measure the excuse me, the effectiveness of ed tech by whether it enhances the productivity of people and organizations. Matt, it sounds like he doesn't think ed tech should be judged at all based on the outcomes or learning gains of students, but rather if it helps make the education process easier. What do you think about that? Um, I think when you break it down into you know his opening paragraph talking about the assertion that technology cannot be looked at as the cure, he's spot on. Um, suggests that we need to measure it differently. Um, absolutely spot on. Um, I think it's an interesting take that he's using. Um, he's going through uh, a lot of different parts in the article talking about um, what we could be doing. Um, I think a lot of this article speaks a little bit too much about higher education. Um, because I think a lot of the things that would work in this sense um, don't necessarily work in the public school domain. A lot of his examples sort of point to more open source and freemium models um, that I don't know would work for um, you know public school and things like that. But I think he's I think he's absolutely right, and I think there a lot of those things that are in the open source or freemium models need to start to get adopted, but it needs to start being within the paradigm of public schools and what school boards look to when it comes to protecting data and students. Yeah, his approach seems a bit simplistic when you think about, you know, like you said, the freemium and open source is that just doesn't quite do the data security that's needed more on the K-12 or that's more is thought to be needed more on, on the K-12 side of things. And, and it is um, more so than higher ed. Um, my opinion really here is that you just can't put all ed tech into one category or another. Um, and you can't judge it all the same way. If a program says it's going to improve my students reading scores then it darn well better do that. Otherwise I shouldn't have it and I should get my money back or I shouldn't, uh, you know, re up with that company. Um, in the same way, if a company says it's going to be able to give me good data about my students attendance, and that I can use to more effectively sort of get a rein on when students are missing classes, then it should do that. Now, I'm not going to expect that that piece of software is going to contribute necessarily to improve test scores. I mean, if they're in class more often, it should help that student, but overall, not so much. I just, I feel like a lot of times we're doing this all or nothing. Like there's only two sides to this. Either it's going to be to improve the test scores of students or it's going to be to make things easier for students well i think you have to judge each one on its own merit and what it's attempting to do i think the problem comes in how we interpret that when we look at the data 
I just don't think you can say ed tech is working, ed tech isn't working based on the data. And the reason is, is just there's too many data points. There's too many different ways to take data in about whether this stuff is effective or not. And when you just say it's either this way or the other way, I think you're not doing ed tech its justice. Well, I think not only are you not doing educational technology justice, you're not doing students justice either. Because remember, you're pulling them along for the ride. You know, if the teacher is using a brand new attendance a piece of attendance software, you know, you're you're subjecting students to that. So all of a sudden, if that changes because you don't like that, because you've given up, because you don't like the stream of data that's coming from, I think that's part of a bigger problem with ed tech altogether. Is that um, a lot of what's happening is we're just kind of throwing things at the wall and finding out what sticks, and then we're only counting the data points of those things that stick. I think a lot of things can be learned from what fails. Why does it fail? Um, and I think a lot of smarter companies are kind of, you know, regurgitating a lot of that data to start making better decisions and better products and better ways to format the information and give it to administrators and teachers alike. Um, but, you know, I kind of said it before ed tech seems at times a little bit like the Wild West. You know, there's so much money going into it that no one's really looking about at where it's actually going and how it's impacting students. And articles like this, I think they shed light on a lot of really, really important parts. But, you know, the conversation often falls short because it's a, is it working or is it not? So we're going to use something audacious to say is they're all hype with no return when the truth is everything is all hype with no return if you look at it specifically only through that lens. It's only when you start dissecting all of those different points that you start coming up with an idea of what's working, what isn't, where is it working, where isn't it. No, I, I agree with you 100%. You're right. And I think our next story sort of furthers that that concept of, like you were talking before, the Wild West of EdTech right now. And this is a story by EdSurge. It reports that U.S. EdTech brought in $64 million in funding in the month of December alone. Uh, based on all the stories we've been reporting on, Matt, dealing with this massive EdTech funding, this number doesn't really surprise me. Um, it seems about what I'd expect based on you know all of the stories that we've been doing about this funding being raised. Uh, standing out to me, though, was a company called Noodle, that is launching a marketplace for connecting K-12 educators with vendors of ed tech products and services. And um, I feel like this is just funding ed tech that's going to spur more funding of ed tech. And, you know, to your Wild West reference, I think this this brings that further. And what does this do to the conversation about whether it's effective or not? It, it, it bothers me on some levels because I think if we're continuing to just look at it like, oh, here's massive money to put into ed tech because it's going to make so much money. I think we're, like as you said before, doing our students a disservice because the focus is on the wrong thing here. And of course, I think companies should try to make money. That's their job. But at what to what end is this going to go if we're you know, just throwing money at something before we really have a good system to either evaluate or try to figure out what these ed tech companies should be doing in our space, you know, as the last article kind of alludes to. Yeah, no, and I'll be honest, I started reading this article and was like, oh, here goes all this money going into it. And then I actually started clicking around Noodle. And I don't know, I got really excited about it. <laughs> um, the Noodle companies, like when you go to the page and you go to noodle.com, not necessarily the Noodle partners or markets, I'll be honest, I really didn't even try to delve into that because of how much time I actually spent on Noodle itself. Um, 
But I thought it was really cool the way that they were able to connect people. And well, it made me think. What's their model for connecting people? Um, basically, you put in your area that you're in and then it matches you together with. Um, it's basically like a marketplace, not the marketplace that they're speaking of when they do the market. But you put in your zip code and it brings up all tutors and people that do after school programs and stuff like that. And I was just really interested in the idea about a new marketplace that is bringing all of this Basically, it's just a it's a glorified directory. I mean, that's all it is. But it was actually presented in a way that actually gave you a lot more information than you'd probably get in a, you know, a few other, a few other mediums. Um, so I just ended up putting in a bunch of zip codes and stuff like that, and thought it was pretty cool and interesting how they were able to come up with all of that stuff. Did you oh, notice any trends? Were there more of certain things there now, like more math, tutors? Math. Math. Yeah. yeah everything was math, and it, that actually disproportionately it seemed to actually favor mathematics and science at the top. Um, I don't know how they were actually doing their sorting sorting or anything like that. Um, maybe I'd accidentally clicked the wrong thing and it did it by you know that subject, although I don't believe so. Um, but I just thought it was really cool. However, you know the money that's just being shoved into this, uh, I really think you know if if I had a million more hours in my day, I would love to sit down and look at all of the venture capital money that's going into this stuff and specifically, you know, what are the sectors and then what is the growth pattern and what is actually sticking around because it just seems it seems insane. $64 million in the month of December. I mean, that is bananas. Yeah, it is a lot. And I mean, to be fair, almost half of that was for noodle as well so it was a you know big big fundraising for them but yeah yeah, i mean it's a it's relatively new i know ed the the phrase and the the you know ed tech has been around for a while but how this is all kind of sorting itself out is new and you know i I do worry um just about the amount of money that's getting thrown in because what's going to happen is if if we don't have the processes in place and we've talked about this so many times but if we don't have the proper processes in place to make this stuff work then we're just throwing money away and that's going to benefit companies for a little while but at some point there's not going to be money to throw away and you know we just need to be doing a better job i think yeah. in education all right matt well our final story um campus technology brings us an article that's right in my wheelhouse matt as it seems that i'm choosing a story like this just about every week <laughs> uh the nine ed tech trends to watch out for uh, i do feel like there's a bit more validity to this one than some of the others that we've reported on uh, and i use the term reported on loosely there um in this article, they did bring uh, a good mix. They had two public education people, two private, and all of them are thought to be ed tech and innovation experts. And they basically just discussed nine trends in ed tech. And I think it's definitely worth checking out. And, um, you know, overall, Matt, did you find this to be a better top 10 type list than we've been looking at recently? Yeah, specifically because it's only nine. Um, <laughs> it's better less no, is more. I, but I, what I will say I think you're being a bit hard on us I think some of the others that we've reported on have actually been better than the articles themselves so shots fired thank you thank you um, yeah, I, think, I, mean, I think it's a great list and it's awesome to see multiple viewpoints on it um, I think the discussion of big data kind of goes back to our first two stories and talking about data points and you know how we're actually going to what should actually be looked at and how everything should be looked at 
in all honesty. Makerspace is amazing. I cannot tell you how excited I am to hear about. I, I wish I had that when I was in school. Uh, yeah, it's really cool. There was there's one project that I saw that you can get online, and it's like um, building your own wheels and your own like uh, air air dragster or something like that, like air power dragster. And it's like you you can use different size wheels, different you know all sorts of things to make the fastest one possible. And you know, obviously, the spaces themselves are as good, only as good as the projects and the things that are being done with them. You know, if you just put a makerspace out there with a 3D printer and some other things and there's no direction at all, you're probably not going to get a whole lot of good stuff out in terms of education. But when you have good projects and you're sharing those resources with others, it's pretty cool. But continue. Sorry, I think you were going to mention something else as well. Oh, no. I mean, I, I like all the big discussions about big data and makerspace, but really VR. That's it, VR. It's just it's it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna, I, I you can't say it's a game changer, um, uh, because everybody knows that then when Nintendo did it, it already changed the game. Then changed the game so well that nobody heard about it ever again. Um, <laughs> but I think this is gonna be different just on how many different companies and I, I I love a lot of stuff that's happening with VR right now, and I know that there's a lot of hype going on with certain products that's all well and good and those are going to be your top tier platforms but um i think you're going to mention it but things like google cardboard i mean they they level the playing field and it's innovation like that samsung has a couple of different devices that are coming out too they're going to be very similar to it and that's that is going to make students excited about education and that's that's the core that i want all of those other things to to actually care about is you have to make kids excited and VR does that. Yeah. I mean, I kind of agree with you and I, and I disagree in a way like I I've, I've messed with virtual reality VR. Um, like you said, Google cardboard, and I was definitely blown away by the possibilities of seeing how you could interact with a 3d world and, and sort of manipulate it and, and sort of the implications for education there. But on the other hand, I also look at it like, this is another thing where the wow factor will fade away. And so what's left is there substance left. Um, getting kids excited about education is important, but what we're trying to get them excited about isn't this cool device. It's what they're learning using that cool device, if that makes sense. So yes, there's going to be that like, oh, this is really cool, but can you sustain it by having projects that the 15th time they put on a VR headset, they're going to go, okay, this is the same old thing. You know, that's, that's what we, the risk we run with students in general, all, I mean, human beings in general, we become complacent about it. Like we all have, you know, these amazing phones that do these amazing things and anymore. It's like, Oh, it's just a phone. It's just my phone. You know what I mean? We, we kind of lose that touch. So I think really what needs to happen is you got to get the foundation, right? I'm, I agree with you a hundred percent that, VR is a super exciting avenue to go down, and I think it's going to get kids very excited. But if we get them excited and then we don't deliver in content and don't deliver in lesson plans, it's not really going to do that much. Well, look at – we did an article, I think it was over the first 10 episodes, talking about Google and their summer camp that they were doing. You know, Imagine that with VR and something like Google Cardboard every single day that a kid can go out and do that. It, it, this is a platform. That's it. VR doesn't change anything. VR changes everything as much as using an iPad versus an Android. 
that's it's all of it's everything that exists that you can do with it and that's what's going to make it important right you know, what i think is really really cool about vr a kid is not going to think is super duper cool about vr i like the idea of being able to manipulate certain objects you know when it comes to building computers and stuff like that and you know maybe being out in space and you know some vr videos that are being done on the iss uh, that isn't necessarily going to stun every kid but that engagement is what's what's so exciting about it is that here here is an opportunity for us to make everybody super excited about something for once yeah no and you, and i think we've talked about this in, in numerous things about ed tech including coding and gaming and all that kind of stuff the concept really is just getting a kid to get excited about something and then see if that's something they're interested in and then be passionate about it and learn more about it i mean that's really what the focus of, to me, educators should be in general, right? Is helping people navigate their way to things that they could and or are interested in and pursuing that knowledge in those areas. And the VR is a perfect way to do it, right? It gives you that extra level, like you said, the International Space Station. You know, we did not have the opportunity when we were teenagers and preteens to be on the International Space Station and look at all the cool things in there and see what it's like from a first-person perspective maybe that would have changed our decision for schooling. You know, who knows? Like, I mean, those types of things are sort of gateways to, you know, learning and fun and education. So that's that's why it's a great thing. But that's also why you have to have, you know, that foundation in place for the content that's being used. If it's just bad stuff going on in the VR and it's not engaging and it's not fun, then it's only, it's not going to get that many people hooked, you know? So you have to also, you know, look at the other side of it too. Yeah. I particularly um, thought that it was interesting that they talked about accessibility because I think that gets overlooked a lot. Um, and the other thing for me was um, um, Jonathan Hoor, if I'm saying that name right, the director of emerging technologies at Ball State University. He had some comments about video that I thought were interesting too, especially being in higher ed, but also in, in K-12, it, it, it rings true. Just because video is easier to make now doesn't mean that we should make it because it's easier. If it's bad video, it doesn't matter if it's easier to make now. You know, we, we're, we're sort of the lowest common denominator here is become just record what you do in your class and then throw it online. And while that can be good for like, you know, if a student doesn't come to class one day and he needs to get the material, I think that's great for that. But when we start building our online education with that foundation, it's not a good deal at all, man. And that's, I mean, I work in um, higher ed and specifically in online learning, and I see it all too often where we're just not doing as good as we can do with video and we're losing engagement we're losing students you know i've talked to students where you know they don't think online is that exciting because they're getting the same video lecture they're just it's the same thing it should be different it should be more engaging we should be using the strengths of online education in these videos and some people definitely do a great job of that, but all too often that lowest common denominator is just record the video, put it up, and they can watch it. And that's just not going to do good things for online learning, in my opinion. I, I fully agree with you. I think we should just Snapchat all well, classes. Listen, 
you know, we do want to reach students where they are. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And we need to learn how to do that. But, and you know, Hey, I bet you there's some innovative people out there that are using Snapchat and using it in a way that actually works for education. So I don't want to diss Snapchat necessarily, but I, I think you bring up a good point when you say that in jest though, a lot of times we aren't thinking about where our students are in tech. We're just thinking about where we are. And so even if you make a video, it's like you think, oh, this is so great. I made a video. Well, are they consuming hour-long videos ever besides in school? I'm going to guess no, unless it's like Netflix and they're watching, you know, an entertainment show. So, you know, in those senses, we really have to sort of meet our students halfway at least and think about where do they spend time, how do they consume things, and try to, you know, tailor our content towards that. Because like you said, the goal here is to get them excited and get them interested in things. And they're not going to get excited and interested in something that's antiquated that they're, that they don't do. It's just not going to happen. Like no kids get excited about an hour lecture, whether they're there in person or whether they're not now going to an hour long class that's done well, that engages them. That's a different story, but just sitting there and watching a lecture. When's the last time you had a conversation with anyone in college that either in college now or has been in college that said, man, I can't wait to go to this lecture. It doesn't happen in my opinion, yeah. you know, it's no, just, I, so it's, it's really sort of, you know, it's an all encompassing sort of outlook that we have to have. But I thought it was interesting how he talked about video. And I think too often we go, Oh, look at, we all have cell phones. We can take these great quality videos. Yeah. Visual quality is great. But what does that mean? You know, what's the content? And I think that just takes me back to the VR and everything else. What's the content? How does this get sustained? And that's what we have to be focusing on. All right, Matt. Well, I feel like we had some good discussions today. If you want more information about the stories that we talked about on today's show, you can just go to edtechweeklyshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I try to post those stories. That's at four tech teachers for the number four tech teachers. Um, follow me on Twitter again. I try to just keep it up to date with some stories. I've been lacking lately. I think I said that last time too, and I'm going to try. So this time I'm really going to try. Um, if you have something you want to share with the show, email us. That's probably the easiest way, edtechweekly at gmail.com. You can, of course, leave a voicemail like Meredith, our only person who's called in, is done, 305-92-TECH2, 305-92-TECH2. Uh, again, we'll play your email or your voicemail and we'll talk about your email. Just, you know, we just really want to get people engaged in the ed tech community. And that's why lastly, I always want to bring up edtechweekly.reddit.com. Matt, I have recently fallen in love with Reddit. Um, I know you've been touting it for quite some time and I know I'm late to the game here, but you know, I recently went on out. I had a question about something that I wanted to do um, with a video and I just asked a question and I got great answers that helped me solve my issue and helped me point me to the right thing. I don't know of any other community personally. And again, I, I'm not all over the interwebs like some are, but this community really takes care of itself and really does. Um, it's very helpful. And I was amazed, even though I know it and even though you've told me it, but just getting more experience with it lately has been pretty awesome. So get on edtechweekly.reddit.com post some links, some resources, interact with other ed tech people. I know a lot of you are on Twitter. Uh, Twitter's great, but it's not a sustainable sort of conversation the way that this is, um, at least not in my opinion. It's 
you know, it's too much going on there sometimes. And this can be just strictly for you sharing resources and commenting on other resources and giving good feedback and telling other people where to find things. Like, I mean, that's one of the great things about Reddit. Matt, do you have any Reddit comments to make since I'm just glowing about it the whole time? Yes, I recommend everybody go and find the AMA that Jose Canseco had done two years ago. It is the best read ever. And can you tell them what AMAs are for those who are not? Ask me anything. Yeah, one of the really cool things that Reddit does is they do these AMAs where anyone in the Reddit community, I believe, can just ask questions. And they come go on for like, what, an hour or sometimes more? Oh, there are some people who have done it for several days. For, oh, for like, just a long time and just keep going. Yeah, they'll it's keep really, coming back. It's really engaging and interesting stuff because, you know, as much as the internet is like troll grounds and everything else, um, and I know that there, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a lot of that on Reddit as well, but yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it very often where I'm at because I think it's more communities that people want to be in and they really do a good job of sort of keeping their communities, you know, on the right track. But it's... I don't know, man. I, I love it. And yeah, any AMA that's been done for any celebrity or any person that you're interested in is definitely worth checking out and reading. It's pretty cool stuff. All right, Matt, we've given them a lot of information. We're back after two weeks. You're back after three weeks, Matt. They've missed you. They've longed for your voice, your presence. They want your words of wisdom, Matt. What do you have for the good people? Yes. Meredith, I would like my notes. Meredith, he wants the show notes. He claims that if you really do listen to the show and if you really do give notes like you say you do, then you should be showing those notes to Matt. I think it's only fair. Give him some notes, Meredith. I'm pretty sure, Matt, I think Meredith's done with the show. I don't think she listens anymore. That's not a good sign for us. No, Meredith should be listening. She was our only listener and may still be. I will continue to believe. Okay, I'm going to keep believing too. Meredith. We're waiting our second voicemail. Let us know that you're still there. 305-92-TECH2. Do it for us. Come on. We need the encouragement. We need to know. If I could turn back time. If we could only turn back time. If I could find a way. You could find a way to prove, I think. I don't know the rest of the song. Something about I'd make back something and I heard you say. I don't know. Something about ships. Something about ships and sailors and like a, you know, some sort of a duct tape outfit. That's all I remember. Is that correct? Am I accurate? Mm-hmm. All right, Matt. Well, everyone, we'll see you next time on EdTech Weekly. Catch you later.